recording live from the prison underneath the Eagle Stadium. It's the Seahawks Nest Podcast. You know they used to have a prison. Yeah, at the vet. Yeah. yeah, at the vet. Yeah, did you ever see fans at the vet? I mean, they basically... That's is. why they had a prison at the vet. <laughs> Sick burn. Yeah, that was the uh, nice concrete floor of Veterans Stadium. Yeah, that's one of them where he threw rocks at Santa Claus. Yeah, I know they're saying it's snowballs. Whoa, whoa. Those were rocks. Don't forget, also batteries, Kevin. Also batteries. <laughs> Welcome Pat back. their to- own left fielder. <laughs> poor, poor Pat Brown. Uh, gosh, how to be a Eagles fan. Uh, welcome back to the Seahawks Nest, the only Seahawks podcast you need. I'm your host, Eric Ronnebeck. With me is Kevin Garber and Nathan Santo, coming off a very dope 31-24 to victory. Hey, you know what? Speaking That's right, of that, primary Eric. Wait, speaking of that dope 31 victory, I think there's a special someone who has a message for you, Eric, right here. And you know, I think this someone is flying into the scene right now. To all the non-believers, how did that? To all the non-believers, especially you, Tom Jackson. Where to have our back, Keyshawn? Anybody can be beat. So how did that just feel? <laughs> feel great. Poetic justice. We know we are a much better team than we came up and represented ourselves, and we were we're pissed off. We was ready to come back and show what kind of defense, what type of team this was, what kind of character we had. We take a lot of slack. People gave us no chance. Like, we barely made it in the playoff. We're a good football team. <laughs> it looks like this team played with anger all day. Why, Bart? For all you non-believers, disrespect us, talk crap about the defense, like we ain't the third best defense in the league. All we hear is about their defense. They can't stop a nosebleed. 25th in the league, and we the one to get disrespected. Congratulations. See you in Pittsburgh. Can't wait. Can't All right. Wait. Can't wait. Uh, we were the, I knew that was coming. We I were the non-believers coming. in this situation, I think. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Because this needs to be credited. Nathan installed that audio and then played out the introduction just so it would run at the spot he already put it in the podcast. Yeah. That was an amazing feat of audio engineering. I knew right that there. I kind of had an idea credit. of how long the, the <laughs> intro is going to take. And I was like, I'm going to put it in and just guess. Wow. And then if, if we mess up, then I'll just move it a little bit. But I figured we could nail it. Yeah, no, that was good. <laughs> you you only had that slight stall. It was perfect. Yeah. Yeah. So did anyone predict the score correctly? Although not the not the teams correctly, because we all guessed Patriots. I think I had twenty six twenty. I had the Seahawks score correct. I thought I had thirty four thirty one or thirty five thirty one. Um, New England, and it was thirty-one twenty-four Seattle. Yeah, I thought it was like thirty-one twenty-seven. I remember I had more than a tut- more than a field goal for the Patriots. I just can't believe we got that win without seventy-two. Like I just thought we would need to have seventy-two getting pressure up the middle to beat that our man Black Santa. I thought we'd need him to to be in, in the middle of the because the inside pressure is how you beat oh, yeah. England. And and I and I thought, oh man, without Michael Bennett, it's going to be very challenging for us to get. Inside pressure, but you know what? We found a way. Where there is a will, there is a way. You want to know where we found a way? This game was so even. Seahawks, time of possession, 30 minutes, 25 seconds. New England, 29 minutes, 35 seconds. Seattle, 420 yards, 23 first downs. New England, 385 yards, 25 first downs. Here's the difference. Seattle, zero turnovers. New England, Two turnovers. Yeah, those, yeah, that was the difference. We in the game. we've intercepted Tom Brady difference. in every game we played against them. That's right. He's yeah, like every since you know in the uh, Pete Carroll era, and that was the worst throw that Tom Brady has made in his entire career. It felt like a you know a a guy who who looked like he threw an eighty five yard dime 
And when you saw it, it just, it stopped at like 58 yards and it was like, oh yeah, Tom, Tom Brady is getting old. He's getting football old. I think it was that he just didn't think there was any recovery speed there. And I think it's like he thought there was a linebacker instead of Shed on him. Yeah. I guess maybe because Shed is linebacker sized. So from that distance, he was like, oh, that's KJ Wright out there. No way he recovered. Oh, that's, that's, yeah, that's possible. That went bad. Not to mention the receiver way outrun, way outran the route. Yeah. I think that was, uh, Malcolm and yeah, or, uh, Malcolm Mitchell, I think is his name, right? Um, yeah. he did not come back to the ball and defend. Like, you know, you teach a wide receiver to play defensive back. He played guy who didn't realize the ball was short. Speaking of not playing defensive, uh, not playing defensive back, we went right after ex Seahawk Malcolm Butler. Like right, <laughs> I, they had six passes for uh, fifty nine yards in the first half or something like that against mm-hmm. Malcolm Butler, and then we came in the second half. They they went after him again, and it, it led to a, a very 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 successful day for the for the pass offense. Uh, to be, I was very satisfied with how we attacked uh, a guy who you know last game we played them. You know he was the he was the hero. And we made him. Was he ex Seahawk? Really? A little bit. Yeah. Was he on our practice squad? He was like a. He played as like rookie like a fifth year on the Seahawks. Yeah. And then he, uh, he was here. I'll, you know, what? I'll look it up while I'll okay. stall for a second. Russ was twenty five for thirty seven. The number I like though is he had that nine point four yards per attempt, and he took the three sacks. But it's like I said last week, I like taking a couple sacks in order to get two to three more yards per attempt. Because we need a bigger play out of the offense than we have. Oh, no, I, I agree. I'm wrong. He just tried out for the Seahawks after he was undrafted. And he picked the Patriots. What? Hey, wise decision on his part. No, it's not. No, of course it's not. <laughs> of course it's not. Okay, Man. anyway. Uh, I will say this about Russell Wilson. Uh, every week he's getting better. Last week we said he was at maybe 85%. Percentage, what do you think, Kevin? Let's see. I think last week I was at... I was at 80 70. and you were at 70. I'd go 85. Oh, I was okay. going to say, I'm up to 80 now. Okay, because I had 85 last he week. He actually kept on a read option. Yes. Yep. Which was which was, And promising. he was faster than he's been. He's still he was not mobile speed. in the pocket, but it was still three carries for six yards with a lot of six. People are talking about our rushing game like it, our played, like it played super good. Our rushing game was not that good. Uh, Max rushed 10 yards. Uh, but you know what? Our rushing game was persistent. And we used the run to set up the pass, which is what we've needed to do all year. Absolutely. 23 carries. That was the most important number. I don't care that it was 90 yards. I don't care that it was 3.9 yards per carry. I care that it was 23 running back carries in the game. Which yeah, you we think did of- not have very many negative rushes either, which has been a problem all year. We get like a negative two-yard rush, which puts you into like second and 12. Yep. Well, and this, uh, acceptable. this just into the Seahawks nest. Kristen Michael cut today. Thomas Rawls looks like we'll start this Sunday against the Eagles, but they don't hear this till tomorrow. So that's, yeah, that's fine. That's, it's just in for us. It'll be news to somebody. We've been, we've been, uh, kind of digesting this Troy main Pope promotion and, uh, well, I don't want to, I don't want to talk that. I want to say, like, what'd you guys think of CJ Procise getting, getting the bulk of the work on Sunday night? I thought CJ Procise was exactly what I hoped he was. When we drafted him, I said he could be a younger, more athletic Fred Jackson as far as a third down running back role. And he's going to get seven catches he's gonna get on someone, seven targets. He's going to get someone killed though, Kevin. He's not a good blocker. Oh my oh, goodness. He block. does not block at all. That's he's, a, you could tell Bevel was it, like, nope. After he, the first time. He tapped himself out of some plays. He tried to tap himself out of some plays, and he is not back in game shape yet either. No. Uh, I think that 
he probably but a played, great third he down probably back. played too much in this game, considering what kind of shape he's in off coming off. Well, he got 24 touches was a lot. Also, you know, we've talked to him in the past about Sean Alexander running out of bounds. We talked about, uh, see Mike, see, yeah, Kristen Michael running out of bounds or, you know, falling to the left or to the right instead of falling forward. CJ Procise every time tackled fell like directly on his back. It's, It'll be interesting if he can learn to block and bulk up a little, and like Nathan said, get into game shape. It yeah, it, it'll it'll serve him well. He needs to learn to block though. You can't be a third down running back in this league and not block, which will leave him with nothing to do. Which is he's not he's not enough. He doesn't quite have enough power to be a first and second a regular down back, and he's so I mean he could play like second and third down, you know. But he's first. You want your first down back to be able to run someone over, and Procise didn't avoid contact like Christian Michael did. But he definitely didn't break through. Guys. There were there were times he delivered a hit at the third level, but linebackers delivered the hit to him. Yeah, I mean he's and not. That's like, not, it's not where you want to be. It's not like Rawls, where Rawls Rawls straight up run a dude over. Rawls punishes. Rawls, Rawls will just flatten a guy. Yeah. Um, Process though, if he can if he can figure out how to block in the NFL, he will have a long useful career in the uh, NFL as slightly better Maurice Morris. That wheel Which route. I'm not, that's not a diss. I liked Maurice Morris. I thought he was a very useful NFL player. That wheel route that he ran on the um, what ended up being the game-winning drive, where he caught the ball on like the four with coverage, uh, he had a safety over the top of him and a linebacker trailing. That was the route that you picked him up for. That was the route that says if this guy can figure out how to chip block before he goes out. He will be a third down back that you want. And it sounds kind of silly, but I thought he was really mature on that route. Like he looked like a veteran. And it was. Well, he ran it like a receiver because he was. Yeah. And that was, it was very impressive to see. Another thing I liked about this game is our four wide receivers were played all the snaps. We didn't branch out and play like Tanner McAvoy or like uh, anybody else at wide receiver snaps. All our wide receiver snaps went to Baldwin, Richardson, Curse, and Lockett. And, and Lockett that, was a deep threat. And Lockett was really good, and Richardson was effective in the plays that he played. Yep. Um, I wish that Lockett could steal more snaps from Curse, but, you know, because Curse got targeted seven times and only caught two balls. I just think Jermaine Curse, I give him a lot of stick. I like him. He seems like a good person. He should be on the NFL football team. I don't think he should get 80% of our snaps. Every week. Curse. Looked like the worst receiver in the NFL for the first, like, four attempts. He had two bad drops. One play where he just didn't run in, run to the ball on the route. He looked terrible to begin with. That was, like, the worst I've seen him. And then he was kind of his typical solid self after that. But he should definitely be, like, the third or fourth receiver if you want to use I would uh, like Richardson to... more sparingly as like a take the top off weapon, and right. so maybe he gets less snaps but the same number of targets, I'm I, okay with that. See, I would really like like right now. Curse but is Lockett getting, should be our two. Curse is getting eighty. Richardson's getting twenty six. Baldwin gets ninety, and Lockett gets sixty. And no wide receiver is going to get a hundred percent of the snaps because of big packages where you just want to run right. And we have like a tight end who. Shockingly, has learned how to block now. Jimmy Graham's actually looks solid decent. block, solid decently blocking. Maybe it's just compared to the offensive line. Yeah, maybe we're just comparing him to Bradley <laughs> Soul. Uh, may he rest in peace. Uh, but the the uh, thing for me is that a soul crushing comment. I know. Uh, <laughs> the <laughs> the thing for me is I would like that instead of to be eighty twenty, I would like that to be more like fifty fifty. 
I would like both of them to be playing about half of the game. Really, you wouldn't, you don't want Lockett having more than Curse? I mean, that would make him have more than Curse. If they both had no, he's 50. saying Richardson and Curse. Oh, Richardson and Curse. Sorry. 50, and okay. then Lockett say, stays between 60 and 70% of snaps. I don't want, I, I think Lockett, Lockett has the right number of snaps because he's Lockett such a quick play, twitch athlete. Yeah, I don't want Lockett to play every snap because one, it will lower his effectiveness and two, I want him to be our special team still. And so yeah. you got to yeah. include special team snaps as snaps he's playing. Yeah, fresh if, legs are important. If, I mean, he plays on a hot, like, you know, every special team snap. What did you guys think of the Patriots defense on Jimmy Graham? Now, Patriots defense, not so good. I thought the best defense against Jimmy Graham was keeping him off the field in the red zone mysteriously. You know, great defense there by Daryl Bevel, making I, sure we didn't have him as a weapon. I think, <laughs> but don't you think that, I mean, on some level, they were really tilting their defense to make sure Graham didn't kill yeah, them. Yeah, that's, that's, I thought. That's the way it felt to me. Well, the, the success of Doug Baldwin on Sunday night, I think, and to an extent, Tyler Lockett, even that catch by Paul Richardson was, you could tell that New England was shadowing someone on Jimmy Graham on top of the coverage he had. Not exactly a double team, but very close. Yeah, it gave a lot of play over the middle because uh, the thing that I liked after just blasting Bevel, what I will say was they had a lot of routes that had Graham occupying the middle of the field. And with the way they played, that took like three defenders out of it because they were all focused on Graham. And I think that's directly responsible for CJ Procise with his 7 for 7, 87 yard day was because... He was sucking a guy up from underneath on the linebacker coverage and occupying a safety. Yeah, absolutely. It was it was impressive to watch. Let's go offensive line, Kevin. Uh, George Fant looking, he's improving every week. He played against New England's pass yes, rush. That yes, 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 yes. Considered uh, absolutely. New, New that's England, like an NFL pass rush. Still, New, that that's good for George Fant though. New England's fr- front seven is kind of a, a mess, and they got rid of their best or second best player, and they got three sacks still. And they still, yeah, Trey Flowers got two sacks. Do you know how many sacks Trey Flowers has this year? Like two? Four. No. Like, <laughs> Ninkovich also got a sack and that was, that was precise. <laughs> that was precise. That yeah. was, that was a whiff block. I mean, that's Ninkovich's first sack of the year. Like, they, oh, was it really? Yeah, these are, I mean, our, I will say this. I am not, we're not out of the woods in terms of like, how is our offense doing? We are definitely not out of the woods. People kind of celebrated this week. As if like, oh, the offense is finally turning the corner. And I mean, on some level, yes, I agree. Like going on the road and playing New England is never going to be like the easiest task, but their front seven is a dumpster fire. Like they, they are a mess up front. And so I'm not willing to say like, Hey, it's all good now. There's still serious problems with our offensive line. There's still our running game is still not where I would like it to be. I'm sure when I do the film breakdown on the running plays this week, I'm going to find lots of guys missing blocks at the second level still. What I will say was the running game looked competent. okay, competent's a good word, against one of the better run defenses. Yeah, I... New England's run defense is, they have a top 10 still. They're not flashy, but they get the job done. It's it's that old bend, but don't break, which is another way of saying not a great defense. But they can still stop the run, and this is a Belichick coach team, they're... They fill the. It's disciplined. Yeah, yeah no, exactly. But they have no pass rush. Like they don't get. They don't really. Well, I mean, they got three sacks against us, but those are coverage sacks, like or like missed blocks kind of thing. Yeah, I do. I'm still scared. Those for, are sacks given up as opposed I'm to sacks. Still gotten. scared for George Fant. Like 
I do not want this experiment to continue. I would be much happier if Soul was starting there next week. And Soul, and we'll get to that when we preview would, the Eagles I would like, game. But that's I would like to get off Mister Fant's wild ride. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's a, that's kind of a stretch, but that is my favorite Disney ride, so it's all right. Anything else on the offense you want to cover, Kevin, or Nathan, for that matter? Anything you want to bring up about about this last game? Yeah, off of about offensive side of this of the ball. Oh, just on our offense is the Doug Baldwin. To Russell Wilson, second half of the season touchdown connection back. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean that happened last year. Remember, we just yeah. like all of a sudden at the end of the year they just scored like two or three touchdowns a game. And it started early this year. Doug Baldwin didn't just come in the second level. You know, he's been he's been there all year. But we are a second half team. But I mean, he got three of his five touchdowns of the season yesterday. Yeah, I mean, great. sorry, Sunday. Yeah, Sunday. but it's no coincidence that Lockett looking healthier and. Averaging 26 yards per reception and Graham taking up a lot of attention left Baldwin there to catch a bunch of touchdowns. Baldwin is a great technical receiver and he has physical tools that allow him to get separation, but he gets a lot of his separation in his routes. And so when you have other weapons, it makes it so having Doug Baldwin, you know, he can't be triple teamed. He, he, it allows him to find those spots in the zones. You know, when a zone is forced to play in a way to compensate for several other players, it allows a guy like Baldwin to find an open spot. Well, the thing about Baldwin also is. <laughs> you can have sorry. to take the audio out. No, it's just, no. leave the laughs. It's, it's all right. It's or all right. just pretend like Brett showed up because he said he was going to come. <laughs> can you bring Brett said he was going to be here. I know he wasn't. It's, it's, it's nine. It's past nine. There's no he, way. He already knew he wasn't. He, he already said in the conversation at six o'clock, he's like, damn, missed it. Baldwin is, <laughs> is the type of guy that can draw anything. Goodness. Look at it. Look at us. We're falling right. apart talking about Baldwin. The yeah, real professional group here. Yeah. Hey, we, we're improving on so many levels, but we're not perfect yet. As I was going to say, Baldwin is a number one receiver. He proved that last year with the addition of Jimmy Graham coming out of his shell, being that player that we want him to be. I will say that it's great seeing Jimmy Graham being awesome, but it's great seeing Doug, Doug Baldwin still be that awesome receiver when Jimmy Graham gets that extra man. And at some point, defenses are going to have to choose which one. Or they have to say, you know what, maybe, maybe we come up with a cool defense, and that's when Daryl Bevel, in a genius moment, like a good offensive play-calling night like he had Sunday, will get Tyler Lockett out there. We'll get Jermaine Kirsch to not drop a ball. We'll get C.J. Prosize catching a ball. Thomas Rawls coming back. It, the things are looking up for the Seahawks. And that's exactly where it is. Okay, so you're double-teaming Graham. You're paying a little extra attention, shifting the field towards Baldwin. That means you're trusting that you're not going to get burned by Lockett. And I don't think a lot of teams are willing to make that gamble because he's shown a few times he can do that. And then throwing in a threat to catch the ball out of the backfield just makes that many more weapons. Because the one thing you have to say about Russ is... He keeps his eyes upfield and he finds his progressions. You know, if there's four patterns being run, he's going to check all four. As long as he can stay upright. Yeah. You know, that's again goes back to the offensive line. Let's shift over to defense because our defense is still amazing and fun to watch. I had someone in Philadelphia tell me this the other day. Uh, what do you want to tackle on the defense first? Tackle on the defense. Boom. Segue. Uh, they didn't give up a touchdown to Tom Brady. First time that's happened in three years, seventeen years, and at home in a long time. Yeah, yeah. Longer, I think so. It's been a, it's been it's been a while. Sorry, I couldn't help it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but over two hundred fifty yards passing and one interception. That was great. 
Yeah. That was really great to see. He had 316 yards and a pick. The thing uh, is, is that mm-hmm. our pressure was, was not even that great. I, I thought like, oh, if we win this game, it's going to be because we got pressure on tons of plays. And we didn't get a pressure on like every play. Our secondary held up super strong. Like Shed looked awesome in this game. Yeah. I thought I was very surprised by Deshaun Shed. And got that pick. Mm. In the first quarter when he like knocked that pass down, like I you're not you I'm were, gonna say this right now. Shed looked uh, good for the down. amount of times he was picked on in that game, because he was picked on. And he looked good for the amount of times he was picked on. I did not think it was Shed's best game. I think there was a calculated play by the defense and by Belichick. The defense said Okay, we're gonna give you these. You don't get to pick and choose and use all your weapons. You get these weapons and that's it. That is a very good point. You can use Martellus Bennett. You can use Julian Edelman, but you have to beat us with just those. You have this full toolbox, but you can only use the hammer and the measuring tape. Instead of giving like, we're gonna give you, like in the Super Bowl 48, 43 to 8 against the Denver Broncos, where, hey, we're gonna get, let you dink and dunk for eight yards here and there. We basically said you can have this continental map of the field. I mean, yeah, we were threw, we were funneling them. They yeah. successfully threw on Sherman and Earl Thomas. Sherman had five tackles in this game. Like they were throwing at everyone. It wasn't yeah. specific to shit. Though they, Sherman had some tackles on run coverage. He yeah. was in they, there for run coverage. They, they were six. Well, I'm, I'm talking about only passing tackles. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, because I because my stat service separates out pass tackles and rush tackles. Uh, rush tackles. Yes, he also had uh, two more. But um, but yeah. They they attacked us with specifically Martellus Bennett. Um, he was they did that thing they do where they put two, Martellus Bennett and Gronk on the outside, and then they put the small guys on the inside, and they ask you like, "Hey, how are you going to defend this weird play?" And we just like left Shed out on the tight end, which I think is kind of a challenging thing for him to do. So yeah. like the plays where That's he true. got beat were definitely against tight ends. Yeah, he definitely got beat a couple times because he was defending someone taller than him. And Martellus Bennett beat Earl Thomas, which. Earl Thomas does Yeah, and it's that's an eight foot person against a two foot person. Although Earl Thomas did, they put a lot of weapons on the field, man. They, yeah, that's, 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 that's what, what the Patriots. And do. they took away all but two of them. Basically, the offense funneled through Bennett and Edelman. Seven catches for one hundred and two for Bennett. Seven catches for ninety nine for Edelman. Well, and also, but Blunt does what Blunt do. You know, short touchdowns. Yeah, three of them. yeah, but three point three yards per carry. It's hard to stop from the goal line. Yeah, like that, that's just kind of a thing. Yeah. Plus, you know the Brady sneak, which that got stopped. <laughs> it's always I was so there. happy. It's that always got there, though. Like it's they, always there. And you run, have to respect. They it. run a good sneak, and they run it for years. Yep. Like when they ran that sneak, and he fumbled, I was like, "Dang, Belichick's probably so mad right now because yep. that's like the classic their, their like, bread and butter, England, yeah, one yep. yard play." And then, yeah, when it got stuffed, you could tell they were so mad because it got stuffed on a third too, and it was like you could tell that was just Pete going, "No, not this yeah. time." When we, you had like, Cam, we knew it was coming. They yep. knew it was coming. They sold out. To Absolutely. One well, like Cam would look to you know plug the run holes, and Earl would just immediately jump over the line. I thought Demontre Moore played well. I mean, uh, if if I was if I was uh, like a Patriots fan, I'd be mad they didn't run Blunt three times from right there. To be honest with you, like after how many short touchdowns he had in that game, deja vu. Just, the way he's running, like they ran him twice though, and he got stuffed. I mean, I would have just kept trying though. You know what I mean? Like just keep. Keep pounding at the door because, like, that's he had done it already. It's not like it, it, I don't know. It's yeah. It's funny though. You can draw the parallels to Super Bowl Forty Nine, um, and the Seahawks not running the ball there, and the Patriots. Their final play of the game was a a play that we talked about being the pass play we wish we would have run. 
Uh, I don't think our guy would have immediately engaged their defensive man. Like it was funny to watch. Oh, you you like you liked that play call that fade? I thought that was like a terrible play call. I don't like that for that situation. Our passing play in Super Bowl Forty Nine. I got like intercepted. that play as Graham against their safety yes. much more than Gronk against. I would Cam. I would rather us have run that with Doug Baldwin punctured on, on punctured second or third Gronk. down instead yeah. of the passing play that got intercepted. Yeah, that's after Earl broke him. By yeah, the way. punctured lung Gronk. Yeah. Uh, the thing about was weird about that play call is I mean. They have a they have play sets in the red zone like from the one board. They have plays that are very challenging to stop. You know, like any Legarrette Blunt run, which they had two in the game that from one yard yep. that were successful. And then also just they run a play where they Gronk runs straight across and just stands and stands there, and it's really hard to stop that play because the guy has to go basically through Gronk, which is nearly impossible. But instead, they ran a fade, and I talked about fade, running a fade on the last play game quite a bit when we threw one to Kurz. I just think it's garbage. Like it's a dumb idea, especially when you're that close. For throwing a fade, like, is you're basically saying at best we have a fifty percent chance of making this happen. I think that's absolutely like the that's most. That's enough for some people, though, Nathan. You know, here's whether right, right or wrong, that's that's very optimistic. Like not to sound like a place. complete, not to sound like a complete dick, but the other thing is they got away with the pick play uh. all day. Just why not run, run it? Why there? not run it? Yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. They run got a, away with the pick. Run a play where Gronk cuts in and he just stands there, and then Cam basically has to jump through him to get the ball because there's no way it's going to have to develop way too fast. Yeah. And Gronk is way too big. Like I don't understand the play call at all. I think actually on some level, Bilicek done played himself in this game. Like he, that was a winnable game that they kind of pissed away right there, at least getting to overtime. Well, yeah. it was it was weird to see the play happen as as Gronk immediately engages Cam Chancellor. Like, if you watch the play, he grabs Cam. Yeah, he sold out for pass interference. Yeah, and exactly, which was really strange because <laughs> afterwards, Chris Collins were saying, like, I like that they let him play. And that was like the national take was like, I liked how they let him play. And it's like, let him play. Like, he, Cam Chancellor got thrown down. Like, he got engaged. He grabbed back. And then he got thrown down, and Gronk still couldn't get that. And he wanted a flag in the press conference. He said, you know, I'm not going to complain about not getting a flag, which is the same of complaining about not getting a flag. But we held our own. And as as I said before, I don't like that final play call for the Patriots. I mean, for us to run that. I just wish we would, in Super Bowl 49, would have run a different passing play than the one we ran. I will say that. I, I'm, not, I'm not against a passing play there. I'm just against that passing play. It was a really even game. It came down to the turnovers, and it came down to a goal line stand. So, I mean, and that's against the best team in the AFC and very easily arguable the best team in the NFL right now. In their home stadium. In their home stadium. Which, you know, I, I was that talking. That was a big win. Well, absolutely, and we all picked the Patriots to win that game. and Reverse the- jinx worked. <laughs> it did. It did. Also, I, I I was talking to my buddy today, and I was talking about how bad the Carolina Panthers are. I'm like, this is the NFC Championship team, and I feel like their schedule is getting a little harder, but ultimately they had more of a cupcake schedule. And if you look at our schedule, we were a second-place team in our division, and our schedule just looked brutal at first. And to come off a short week going to New England, that's a hard game to win, and we did it. Yeah. Nathan, any points before we move on to the preview? On to Philadelphia. Boom, on to Philadelphia. I was. I invoked my inner hoodie right there. <laughs> a very, Do you want the single a very tough game. Biggest against... stat that's going to guide most of what I have to say. Oh, Seattle. Can Seahawks. I guess what it is? Is it a pass rush stat? Seattle Seahawks six two and one, four and zero oh at home. Philadelphia Eagles five and four, one and four on the road. Rookie quarterback 
only road win was week two at Chicago. Hey, Nathan, what's that thing you hate that every player does? I don't know, but I hate rookie quarterback no, on the road. You, you know what it is. It's it. this. It's what we're going to do to Carson Wentz. We're going to eat his oh, bowl of chili. Oh, the bowl, the bowl yes. eating celebration. That's, <laughs> that's, that's the worst. It's so overused. Uh, I, was, I love the big sexy dance. That's, I'm so glad that the Seahawks <laughs> do that. Nothing quite like a fat man doing a sexy, yeah, doing, sexy dance. Doing a sexy jelly roll dance. Uh, I was lucky enough to, uh, our podcast was asked to be on an Eagles podcast to give the Seahawks take. And I was lucky enough to participate in that. So I have some thoughts from the Birds Review podcast, uh, our friends in Philadelphia. <laughs> they yeah, gave tell us, us what they thought. Yeah, they gave us some insight into their game. They love their pass rush. How uh, could you not? It's an awesome pass rush. Yeah. Their yeah. pass rush, uh, they have the second best um, adjusted sack rate in the NFL. They have 25 sacks total. It's really good pass rush. And they like the Seahawks. They blitz. They have some blitz packages. Jim Schwartz likes to use them sparingly. They like to rush four, though, which uh, <laughs> don't ask me. I, I know you guys watch Red Zone a lot, and Nathan, you're always giving the links to Red Zone. I'm just like, I'm going to watch one of these two games. And I've watched like three and a half Eagles games this year. Thanks, CBS. I don't know how it happens. <laughs> uh, it's Fox, too. But I've got to see a lot of Eagles games. And they, their defense, not, sorry, not as good as the Seahawks. But like us, they like to rush four. They like to integrate the blitzes more like Chris Richard's been doing for us. Um, who do you think is like their most dangerous player? Graham's, defensive line, defensive line. Graham's been having a hell of a oh, year. I you meant on offense, and I was like, I don't. No, no, no. <laughs> No, <laughs> you know I'm, I'm going to get to that take too. Um, Graham's been having a really, really good year, but uh, it, their defensive tackle is it Cox? It was Fletcher Cox? Is that yeah. anything enough? Yeah, um, he's kind of the the straw that stirs the drink on that front four. Come he's on, there's one. There's just one man that you should be talking about. Are you talking about Kiko Alonso? Kendrick? No, Connor Barwin, dude. Connor Barwin. Connor Barwin is he's like the double team drawer machine, like. Even if he's not affecting the play, like he's getting two guys to, like it's like. Was it two weeks ago? He had that sick interception where he just aired out for the ball. It was one of those ones that you see every once in a while where a linebacker just makes this really athletic leap for a pick. He's a really, he's a very complete player. I just like Connor Barwin just as just like a really, really, really good just defensive end. Uh, that like, and then they. He, like I said, he's constantly drawing double teams, which frees everyone else up. And Kevin's right. It makes Fletcher Cox so effective. Cause he's, if you're against one guy and you're as big as Fletcher Cox, like, it's just nuts. Like, well, and he basically demands a double team too, which is why Graham's able to get so much, so much pressure this yeah. year. Brandon Graham, Graham's having his career year. Brandon Graham is just getting to go one on one against the left tackle on every play. And that, that's not good. That's not good for us. That's no, I, I don't know for offensive I don't think we can, can be handle. the team that does that. Well, also, I mean, you <laughs> talked about, like we talked about Kiko Alonso, their linebacking core is really good. They, they mirror the Seahawks in some ways. They don't have the secondary we have. That's a big understatement. <laughs> I think the biggest improvement in this team, though, is the secondary. Like, f- compared to, compared to last year, like getting Leotis McKelvin, it for instead of having uh, Byron Maxwell, getting is, rid of Byron it, Maxwell, yeah. Leonis McKelvin has been terrible this year. But, but compared to Byron Maxwell, who was literally the worst cornerback in the league, uh, let's see. Leonis McKelvin, they're twenty first in the NFL against wide receiver twos, and I thought they're fir- they're first against wide receiver. They're first ones. against wide receiver ones. McKelvin covers their twos. Oh, I didn't know that. I thought he covered their ones. I don't believe so. You think Nolan Carroll? Yes, Nolan, Nolan Carroll is their top. Nolan corner. Carroll is their guy. That's, okay, I, I learned that I from the podcast that, that I was right. on. Yeah, who came over from Green Bay, right? Oh uh, no, Miami. Miami. Okay, 
Yeah, Nolan Carroll uh, may not play this. He's in concussion protocol right now. If that happens, I feel so much better about this game. Okay. Malcolm Jenkins. I like Malcolm Jenkins. Malcolm Jenkins is a solid player. I'm a fan. Uh, all right. So, yeah. But Leos McKelvin's not been good for them? Leos McKelvin, I'm trying to remember. Because I love Leos McKelvin when he was on Buffalo. Yeah, he was a good Buffalo Bill. Uh, he's... They have been tearing him apart in Philly this year. There was... I'm trying to remember. There was this really good burn in a Philly thread on Reddit where um, he made some comment about... Uh, uh, he made some comment about like handling something and someone responded with like, oh. at least he found something he can cover. Yeah. It says that he's had like a nagging hamstring injury all year that he's been trying to play through. Yeah. That's not good for a cornerback. Yeah. You want to know the, you want to know the trick on this? They are 19th in the NFL against the deep ball passes traveling over 15 yards in the air. They are 19th. They are, uh, the number. So what, what I hear you saying is they're really relying on their pass rush to do the work. Dirty they are. For them. They're the number eleven um, run defense, but they are twenty eighth at stopping the run in the second level and thirty first in the open field. Interesting. They are really relying on their front seven and especially their line to do the the yeoman's work. Well, the Birds Review brought up a point, which I think this is kind of true for any team. They said, if our pass rush can't get any pressure, our, it it's, makes for a really hard day on our corners, which that's, everyone has that to an extent. I mean, Richard Sherman's great, but if he's, you know, has to defend a guy for like seven seconds, it's going to break down. They, Seattle gets coverage sacks. You could probably count on one hand the number of coverage sacks the Eagles have gotten this year. Do, do the Eagles play man then? Like, you know, I didn't, I didn't get that man. Info. Because if they play strict, man, maybe that's it. The scheme switching and stuff for McKelvin. Because Doug Peterson, where is he from? Uh, Doug that Peterson. Tell us. He's from. Uh, it's Schwartz. It's Schwartz's defense. Okay. Schwartz is basically oh, the defensive defense. head. Coach. What, did, what did Detroit okay, play? And I have a question about Doug Peterson too. Is Doug Peterson like you watched more Eagles games than me? So I've, I've only seen him on Red Zone. Is he is he terrible coach? Like I've heard okay. I've heard these I've read these articles like he's sneaky kind of a ter- not a good coach. He's he's young. He's a rookie head coach. And Birds Review brought this up, and I asked some questions about Doug Peterson. But they think that they have lost two games that they should have won, all because uh, Peterson has kind of called the wrong play. And they they had an example of a play that he ran this last week. Uh, there there are some bad plays that people are kind of pegging on Wentz, and it seems like Eagles fans are like, no, that's Peterson. I know a couple of weeks ago there was that fade to uh, Jordan Matthews against the Giants to win the game. Fade didn't work, and it was a fade from like 20 yards oh, back. A, so fa- it was like, a fade to win the game didn't yeah. work? I'm well, it was, it, was a, it was a really good back shoulder pass, but it was like, why are you calling that play right there? And Jordan Matthews wasn't smart enough to turn around to get the ball. And it was, uh, of course, a loss for the Eagles. They blame that on Peterson. But is that your personnel? Because Jordan Matthews is your best receiver. Well, this and he's he's okay. This goes. If Jordan this, Matthews is number two receiver. You're like solid. If he's your number one receiver, you're like. Yeah. Uh, this goes into the Birds review. What they said. Uh, I was like, "What's a weak part of your team?" And like, our receiving core is the worst in the NFL. I I would tend to. I would say it's in the mix. There's uh, their top five, bottom five. Yeah, yeah. their their opinion of Nelson Aguilar, and apparently, I guess a lot of Philly fans just hate Nelson Aguilar, which is 
you know, I, I, there's always a receiver on your team you don't like if you're really passionate yeah, about Yeah, if Nelson Aguilar is your number I mean, two. Ugh. I'm looking at their depth right now. They literally only have four wide receivers on Doriel Green Beckham, who's all potential and no production. I mean, Doriel Green Beckham's cool if you only care about how big a dude is. <laughs> like, yeah, it's so like when big. we had Mike Williams as our best receiver. It's like it's that like, was hey, good one year. It's really cool that, that this guy's so big. Was and they, it though? They have a it guy was special, that they, Kevin. They have a uh, that I agree with. They have a guy they claimed off waivers from Philadelphia. Got brace tracks. <laughs> nice. Wait, Philadelphia claimed it off Philadelphia. No, they. No, I'm sorry, sorry. They claimed it off San Francisco. Ugh. That's yeah. worse. That's where you want to farm your good players from. You want to you want to get <laughs> players from the 49ers because they're just so good. They're talent laden, man. Uh, I do. Uh, Kevin's going to salivate when I ask this question. Let's talk about their special teams. Their linebackers are really good. Yeah, they have the number good. one special teams. Yeah, but I don't think it's going to play well against Seattle. Now, let's. The reason why we their well, special I mean, teams is we're good. not going to have a. They're not going to have one kick return. We kick it through the end zone every time. Yeah, Hauschka's going to sell out. He's going to do that thing where he does those line drive kicks that never make it more than 15 yards in the air and just sail like a missile straight to the back of, of the end zone. A lot of teams are trying to crater up kicks now and let people return thinking they can tackle them behind the 25. And Philadelphia is one of the teams that's punishing teams that try that. Like their kicker, they're creating more value from kick returns, according to football setters, than any team in the league. And how do you look at a roster and go, Darren Sproles is on that roster? I feel good about kicking it to him. I mean, but it's yeah. then he doesn't even return the kicks. It's like Wendell. Oh, Wendell Small. Wendell Smallwood is like West a, Virginia. Is, he's like a brand new Darren Sproles, though. He's like he's a foot taller because he's like Cause five he's foot five. five. Seven, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, it's it's interesting. Darren Sproles is he's he's getting old, football old, but he's still he's so mighty and so tiny. Uh, their punter. Very good. Reminds me of a punter in Seattle who is also very, very good. Uh, 2009 team MVP, hey, wait, American we, Ninja Warrior, John hey, Ryan. Did you guys Boots know that up. we had this guy on our team before in 2004? Our punter, Donnie Jones? Donnie Jones. He used to sing with yeah. the uh, Backstreet Boys, I think. <laughs> we, acti- we activated him a bunch of times and then waved him a bunch of times. Oh, man. I'm looking at the player history. That's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. He, uh, he's, he's been around for That's a while. what happens when you have John Ryan, though. Caleb yeah. Sturgis has been really good this year, too. Yeah, and he's a good kicker. He's been good for a couple of years. This picture of Caleb Sturgis on this website I use for depth charts looks like a... He looks like a dad from a freaking... Uh, <laughs> I was about to say, <laughs> he, he looks like a assistant coach for a Division two team in the South. I'll tell you to say this about Caleb Sturgis. The Birds Review said that. I was that like, is Savannah there. State... <laughs> The Birds Review said that coach. was their offensive MVP, was Caleb Sturgis. He's, like, he's been pretty good this year. <laughs> We've had those years. <laughs> uh, so they're tight ends. They have two good tight ends, too. Yeah. But against our team, I feel like that's not as big of a weakness they're, as Well, they're good, no. they're good tight ends, but because they block. If you look at their receive, receptions, they're not... They're not like a... They're, they're not solid. used as a weapon primarily, though. And Ertz has been hurt off and on, which is kind yes. of the story of his career. Ironic name. Ertz. Zach has been Ertz. Has Jason Peters been good this year? Uh, Jason Peters was out for a good portion of the year so far. And uh, they've been getting beat. Their offensive line is basically dead even as far as pass blocking with Seattle's offensive line. And that tells you everything about that. I feel good about that matchup. Here's the interesting thing about them, though. Their run offense is about the same level as Seattle's run offense. They're 20th in run DVOA versus Seattle is 23rd. And okay. you think about how we've been struggling to run the ball. They have one of the better run-blocking offensive lines. Their backs cannot take advantage. Are they – no, I, this would have been a great question to ask that podcast, but I wonder – they, And they cannot power run either. 
Like, they're really bad. Their power run ranks 25th. Is it because they can't stick to one running back? No, I think it's because their running backs just aren't tackle breakers. Yeah, I was going to say, like, none of these guys are good. Like, which of these guys do you really feel like is going to, like, bust through and do a powerful run? Is it Ryan Matthews? Is it Wendell Smallwood? Is it Darren Sproles? Wendell Smallwood is... Is it Kenyon Barner? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, exactly. Hilarious. Smallwood I like, but, yeah, he's he's a one-hit-and-down guy. Yo, their running backs are a lot like their wide receivers. They got some number twos and some guys. I mean, we give our offensive line a lot of stick, and rightfully so. It is very below average. But there's like, if we had one good, more good player, our offensive line would be awesome, I think. Yeah. It's, if we had a left tackle. If we just had like a really good left tackle, you know, it doesn't even have to be Walter Jones good. You know, it, it could just be like. Don't forget. It could be Russell Okun good, and Oof. we would be fine. Yeah. If we had like the number 10 left tackle and could kick Soul out to right tackle, this line would immediately become like really solidly average to above average. Above average. Yeah. Before we go into picks and talking maybe more about the Eagles' pass rush affecting us negatively, I want to talk Carson Wentz. Carson Wentz is a different quarterback on the road than he is at home. For some reason, when you said Carson Wentz, I instantly just thought of Jared Goff. (laughs) (laughs) Because Jared Goff is starting this week for LA. And I I was like, like, man, you really want to switch just talking about the Rams? Yeah, that's, uh, that's, I think, what the Eagles wish, too. I mean, as as much as they like Carson Wentz. What are your opinions on Carson Wentz? I think Carson Wentz is a solid player. He's got some skills. He plays like a rookie in some ways. You know, he's got, what, like nine touchdowns and five picks. Which is decent. He's he can he can throw while scrambling. Yeah, he does. He does the. Frankly, a lot of quarterbacks do this, uh, good and bad. He throws. He holds on to the ball too long a little bit. Yep, he can run a receiver open to an extent. He's he's not a downfield guy. He can do it, but they're not either. They're not opening the playbook up for him. Sounds familiar. I don't think their receivers yes, can manage it. That's the other part. I, I think Carson Wentz has been just okay. I think not, he's been average, which makes him not, solid for a rookie. Not good. I mean, I nine, think he's been nine, above average just nine because touchdowns in in nine games is pretty underwhelming. To be to be thrown in in week one without getting that you know those reps because remember Sam Bradford was supposedly going to be their starter up until like three days before the season up opener. until they got a uh, a major trade offer that you couldn't refuse. Yeah, well, and I, I want to say this too, and uh, maybe this is a hot take. Sam Bradford is definitely better than Carson Wentz right now today. I would rather if I'm if I'm picking like in the schoolyard which guy's my quarterback I'd pick Sam Bradford over Carson Wentz. I, I wouldn't. I think that's a Skip Bayless hot take. Maybe. No man, I'm not. I'm not totally disagreeing no, I'm with you. you. Eleven I'm touchdowns taking... in less games, like versus nine touchdowns. Look at the in receiving nine core games. though. Hey, don't, can you dig it? Wentz has five interceptions versus ball. Bradford's two. Can you dig it like though? Bradford's a... been solidly like slightly above average this year. He has, but he's Whereas got a better Wentz team. Has been Slightly below average. Here's the thing. I don't think Bradford can win you a game. I think Wentz can. I think Wentz will be able to. I think Wentz's ceiling in a game is higher. Three years from now, it can do that. But like today, Wentz, I just think he does not scare me at all. I'm talking like I'm going number 17 quarterback versus number 19 quarterback. I'm not saying he's way better. Oh, I'm. I would put both of them lower. Maybe I might have Bradford as high as like. 19th but Wentz I might put down like 25th right now just today if I'm building for the future I would put him in the top 15 but I'm not I don't I'm not building for the future I have my future quarterback his name is Russell Wilson (laughs) past present and future love you Russ anything else you want to talk about with this team before we go to picks 
you know, uh, Philly runs best off the left side. We are not as good at stopping off the left side. What about screens, Kevin? What about screens? Screens they, scare me. They, they very, love the screen. They are oh. very bad at covering screens, and we now have CJ Procise as our feature back. Yeah, and we have a healthy locket. And I, and we, if, you were, if you were to ask me what pass play I fear the least, the answer would be screens. Really? Even with the Eagles? I mean, I'm... Because our team is one of the best teams at swarming. Give me Carson Wentz trying to dink and dug us all day, and I will give you two interceptions and an ugly looking stat line. I'll agree with that. I did, I did mention how we're not really great at defending the screen, but I, I did not mention how if you have a complete passing game or a near complete passing game, how the screen hurts us. But if you're relying solely on dink and dunks and screen passes, then yeah, that's, that's yeah. bad. That is bad. Ooh, I kind of feel better about that now. Um, anything from the Seahawks side? We have Thomas Rawls coming back. He's barely gonna play. No, what do you mean he's barely gonna play? He's he's I in mean, line he's to start. He's in line to start. We cut Kristen Michael. You can't you can't disrespect. Is gonna start. You cannot disrespect the memory of Kristen I Michael Senior. I think it's Senior. gonna be probably a sixty forty split on touches between Less. Rawls I think, and I think Alex uh, Collins CJ? is gonna pick up pick up. You don't think Rawls is gonna get forty percent? Is he gonna is he no. gonna pick up the ball after he fumbles it? Yeah, that was he a went, shot at he Alex went straight Collins. to fumble jail. That's a yeah, fact. Absolutely. I think Alex Collins will play twenty percent of snaps. Oh. Rawls will play like fifteen. Are you possessed right now? Why are you it's saying these things? CJ Prosize plays like most of the game. You kind of have your head down. You're saying weird no, stuff. No. I mean, I don't want to see Alex Collins. I'm just man. mad you guys think Carson Wentz is better than Sam Bradford. <laughs> I said I fall in the middle. I fall in the middle of that. <laughs> There's no middle. It's yes or no. I would rather have Carson Wentz right now. <laughs> no, I would rather no, have Carson why? Wentz because he's younger. No, but th- I'm. I'm saying not for the future. Man, He's saying for one game. It's Space Jam. They came, the aliens came to Earth. What, what receiving core am I getting? So you're telling me Wentz wouldn't look better on Minnesota's the Viking than Minnesota's he would. offensive line is garbage, and his running backs are Jarek McKinnon and Matt Asiata. However, I do not feel like this is like a crazy thing I'm saying. I don't think it's crazy, but remember, the Minnesota's offensive line hasn't been crummy all year. Week by week, he gets crummier. Yeah, but like every week, Stephon Diggs gets better. Seems to get better. I know yeah. because he's on my fit. So... That means Bradford is doing better with less. Like I don't know. I think he's they're doing. I think he's doing better with more. I think he's doing better with more. Would you rather have Minnesota's receiving core or the Eagles' receiving core? Do I get like? Are we including running backs and stuff? Because I definitely would rather have their skill position players for the Eagles. Like Ryan Matthews, I get to play with Ryan Matthews and Darren Sproles instead of Jarek McKinnon and Matt Matt Asiata. Oh wait, wait, they have Ronnie Hillman too in Minnesota. (laughs) That was a joke. All right. I'm just saying it's it's pretty even. Like I, skill, I'll say it's almost a draw. The skill positions are pretty even, and, and I, think I think the quarterbacks are pretty. even. I think Bradford is just slightly better because Wentz is going to make more mistakes. Yo, screw you, Nathan. This is this is Andy Dalton, uh, Kirk Cousins part two. Where you know I'm what? like, you know what? They're Andy both Dal- really middling. Andy Dalton and Kirk Cousins are both significantly better than these guys, and they're both significantly the same player. I. I like this is, I, I this think is Kirk, too much. Kirk Cousins. I am uh, get on the bandwagon. I'm dude. ending this right now. <laughs> I like that. I'm not I'm not letting you uh <laughs> You're the worst. I'm not letting you pollute this, this podcast with Washington, Andy Dalton and Washington Alex Redskins Collins. Hey, these are the teams we're gonna play in the playoffs, is the Washington Redskins and the Minnesota Vikings. Like we gotta start thinking about you really it. you really think the Vikings are gonna make the playoffs right now? Uh they're gonna they're gonna, row. they're gonna back end their way into a nine and seven division title. Oh. Man, I can't wait for Blair Walsh to shank a field hey, goal. He got, he got released today. How dare yeah, you? Too soon, Kevin. How dare you how dare you pour dirt on Blair Walsh's grave? You, can, you can't you can't wait for Kai Forbath to look at Blair Walsh's jersey hanging in the rafters. Oh, no. Yeah, that's who they hey, you know what you know what Minnesota's wishing right now though? They would have traded for Tony Romo instead. 
<laughs> Sorry, I couldn't help it. Um, all right, gentlemen. I, mean, I bet you there's lots of teams right now that would be like, oh, man, I really wish we had Tony Romo. He's just standing on the sidelines. Yeah. Yep. He's not doing anything. Any team. Most teams, I think. I, I think would say like that 20 teams. Tony Romo's probably better than like at 20 teams. Yeah, 20 teams quarterbacks until, right now. Until yeah. he gets legitimately sacked and I, then they have to go. Dies. Yes. I think a good conservatively place him. Like very conservative placement would be 12. Okay. Like if you're being really conservative. I don't want to count it off because I don't want this podcast to go forever. But I mean, yes, 12th would be very conservative. And I think that you could go even I think you could go really close to like six to eight. Eight. Because I think like that that 12th range is where you got like Phil Rivers, Kirk Cousins, Andy Dalton, Matt Stafford. And I think he's, he should be in that group. Yes. And he should be towards the top of that group. Yeah. And I think he might be better than everyone in that group too. All right. Anyway, as we go on, let's go to Prescott. Des Prescott's good, but he's limited, and you'll never win a Super Bowl with a rookie quarterback unless you have a once in a lifetime defense. I will take that. We, I want to play Dallas in the NFC Championship game, even if it's in Dallas. I don't care. Okay. I think we can. We we can beat Dallas. I'm very confident about Uh, this. If we're relying on our ability to stop the run and on number one receiver, that's really playing into our strengths. You know, with with something like seven or six games left, let's uh, let's look at playoff seating next week because this okay. is a great conversation. But we yep. got to get on to picks for this uh, the Birds Review podcast. All those guys, including another Seahawks fan on that podcast, picked very close games. They I think they all picked the Seahawks. Maybe one guy picked the Eagles, but there were scores like thirteen ten Eagles, sixteen nine, fifteen nine. I'm gonna lead with my pick because I got I got booed out of the room when I said this. 28-13 Seahawks. That's that's actually really close to what I'm thinking. Yeah, I think same here. Wentz is going to make some mistakes, and we're going to win the turnover battle like three to zero or two to zero, and that's going to make a big short field lead to points. Uh, Seahawks win. Uh, let's go with twenty-four to ten. That's uh, Vegas has a line of forty-four on the over/under, um, and the Seahawks at a minus seven at home. If you look, they've given up over twenty points in every road game. They have a yep. little bit of trouble scoring on the road. Um, I like that. Uh, Pass rushes are decidedly less insane when you're on the road, too. Yeah, and they've lost like 28-20, 23-20 to some pretty solid teams. That's a testament to Eagles fans, man, because you're, when your pass rush is just the bananas at home, like that means that your fans are really like making it really difficult for the other team. Which is so, why I think you Cliff Averill's going to feast. Props, Eagles. We're going to be building some houses. Yeah, oh yeah. Cliff Averill's building some houses this week. I agree. I'm going 30 to 17, Seattle. Yeah, mm. I, like that. I like that score quite what a bit. What do you think the, the, the touchdowns are going to come from? The two touchdowns. For them? For them? Yeah. Uh, I think the garbage time touchdown and then like one good Someone's going to get loose. Yeah. It's going to be like uh, you think like a, a super return? frustrating screen pass to Darren Sproles where he breaks up the sideline and pulls like 38 yards, like the Arian Foster run in the Miami game. It's going to be something like that. And that Smallwood, Smallwood with a sweep right. Got it. Uh, all right. Well, we're going to do it. Well, we may pick a movie that we won't talk that long about. Yeah, probably. That's probably Make sure idea. we've seen it, though. Maybe. Anything we need to plug? We want to do plugs first? Uh, yeah. Uh, big shouts to our four Patreons. Yes. Uh, Josh from Eagle River, Brian, Kimberly, and Big Mama Santo with the shout out there. My mom. My mom. <laughs> my mom likes my podcast. Um, always uh, like us on Facebook. Um, follow us on SoundCloud. Uh, rate us or follow us on iTunes, Stitcher, uh, any podcasting service. Check out the website. Talk to us on Twitter and Facebook. You know, be a part of the community. 
Uh, yeah, we're going to be running some contests soon. We bought a bunch of stickers to give away to our patrons, and we thought, well, you know what? There's 200 people that haven't have decided that this isn't worth money. <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. They probably decided, and they're just you know waiting to see how the Trump presidency affects the economy. And I understand that. If you you know wait and decide and see how that see see how his transition team's setting up. So then that way, once you know, you can decide if this economy is strong enough for you to support this podcast. But the the key here for just a dollar okay, twenty four that you can support a struggling podcaster. The key here for me is that uh, we're going to run a few contests that have to do with reviewing our podcast, retweeting our podcast, favoriting our podcast to try to give away some of the stuff that I just got printed up for our loyal patrons. And I'm going to extra hook up our loyal patrons because uh, they they will just they deserve more than the people who just like stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so so I'm going to throw some extra goodies in there for them. Uh, so that's that. All right, you guys ready? Yeah, I'm let's ready. do it. Movie club. All right, let's talk about two movies at once. These two movies, I think, star the greatest young martial artist. And he's not really that young anymore. But the greatest martial artist probably working in the world today. Um, and I'm talking, of course, about the great Thai warrior, Tony Jaa. Uh, so so I'm talking about Ong Bak and the Protector. So um, Ong Bak is a really sweet movie. Uh, it's like the, the Thai warrior, okay? And Kevin, you've seen this, right? Yeah, it's like yeah. a historical fiction piece, right? Kind of, yeah. So like basically like there's all this like deep mysticism in and around like yeah. elephants. And that, the Protector too, deep mysticism around elephants. The reason I want to talk about these two movies is Ong Bak, okay, I really like the action in the movie's awesome. It was like the first movie that used like tons of parkour and stuff in its action sequences, which I think uh, It looked really good too. Which looks yeah. really cool. And, and it was shot well, and if I'm remembering correctly, it was shot in a way where it wasn't really cut up a lot. No. You really got, you got to, to see, see it being action. performed, which and is they, good. They did this they did this thing too where they'd slow down the action and show it from multiple angles when they did a really good action shot, and then they'd and then they'd be like, okay, check this action yeah. shot out. Here's it in full from this angle. Here's it in full from this angle. And it's like, oh, yeah, they really got it. It's a Hong Kong fight scene filming style applied to parkour, which yeah. is really neat. Yeah, yeah. They, they, would, they wouldn't do like the, the fast zoom-ins. They would, they would pan over one direction and then zoom in slowly and then zoom out slowly. You could see it all. And yeah. the fights are brutal in this movie, in the Ong Bak. They actually connect, don't they? Yeah, oh, they, they're hitting each other. And they, yeah. they do fights where guys are just beating the crap out of each other. And like elbows and knees and double elbows, double And knees. they're not super it's long because it's, it's like fighting. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They, and wait, and like, before we move on, the protector is not Ong Bak 2, correct? No. Because Ong Bak 2 is not Ong Bak 2 is different people. In Ong Bak 2 is, is weird. different director. So what happened was Tony Jaa made that movie himself. Ong Bak 2 and 3 are not quite as good. They go deeper into the weird mysticism stuff. Because um, the plot of Ong Bak is basically... It's like someone, when you get into true crime L.A. story, when you get to like the last 30 minutes of the game, and you're like, wow, this went too far. Someone takes... <laughs> in Ong Bak, the plot is someone takes like his village's... Like, statue they take like his village's protector mm -hmm. god little god guy and he has to go to the city and try to like find it like who took on Bach? like who took this this statue from us and he ends up making friends with this cop and the cop's like the comedic relief character and then lots of cool stuff lots of cool action sequences happen while he can he's he's like a yokel tony job plays like a yokel guy who like doesn't really understand, you know, and he keeps trying to do stuff, but he can beat up like a hundred guys at once, so it ends up never mattering, you know. Like, <laughs> he'll get himself into situations that no re person could reasonably get out of, but you know what? He's the Thai warrior, dude. <laughs> it doesn't matter. He just beats up hundred guys. The Protector, I really wanted to talk about because the Protector has probably the best long shot of any movie. Uh, it's either the best 
or the second best long shot of any movie ever. I have not seen The Protector. So, oh, so I, I watched so on Bok with you. It, you're comparing it with uh, uh, Hard Boiled then. Yes, it is in the mix with Hard Boiled. And so I'm going to pull up uh, the Which, long shot. So I'll fill while you're doing this. Hard Boiled has a near two minute long single camera long shot that is incredible when you consider everything happening in the sequence. And so this one is four minutes long. And it's the thing that's really cool about this one is it's filmed while the Tony Jaw is in a hotel and it goes through multiple levels. So it's like as he climbs the different levels of the hotel, he gets, he just gets, goes through all this different stuff and he goes through all these different rooms. He goes into hotel room. He goes into the back of a restaurant. Like all this crazy stuff happens. And the whole time he's doing his like parkour Muay Thai style with the knees and the elbows and like, and for the, those of you who don't know what a long shot is, that is one take. One continuous take, no cuts at all. And another, so the plot of the protector basically is that he, wow, he is, uh, <laughs> Eric's watching it right now and he's, is, he's, I'm so excited. So he's at his village. Someone comes to his village and they steal his elephant. His, his town has like an elephant that they're, they're That's really rude. like connected to. So they steal the elephant. I don't know what for exactly, but he is on a mission to get that elephant back, of course. So, you know, he's going to beat some people up to get this elephant. And he, <laughs> I mean, the fighting in this movie is just brutal. <laughs> this is brutal. Yeah. yeah. Like, he is just, he's, the way that Tony Jothro strikes, you know, they are connecting and they look like they hurt and they show the connection, which is like the best part. Uh, like, Things break in these scenes. Like people get thrown through banisters. People get thrown through. Uh, th- things get hit by chairs. Like th- this fight scenes are just really, really cool. And, and so- long shots are technically really interesting because it requires a lot of timing. Again, you're talking about one camera. The cameraman has to be on point. Every extra, every actor has to be on sequence, on point, and. These are one take affairs and you really can't redo the scene because what you end up seeing There's, is a lot of set work is being done and to reset it up would be such a labor and so expensive. They tend to have to be done in one take. When I yeah. think of like the long shot in Goodfellas when Ray Liotta and, uh, and, uh, well, he's coming in through the back yeah, entrance. Yeah, he's coming through the, the back entrance. And I look and I see like, man, there's like 30, 35 people that are, you know, can't look at the camera that are extras that are just kind of there and a musical act playing and you know everyone's got to be on their cues and i'm looking at this and it's more than that there's like maybe 60 people 70 people in the scene easily and so yeah maybe a hundred but some are extras some are just guys who are waiting to get thrown through tables and thrown you know and down kicked, a couple kicked stories really hard in the chest kicked really hard in the chest or frankly being thrown down two stories to land in something that you know if you miss Hey, guess what? You're going to severely injure someone. This is insane. The, and the thing I like about Tony Jaw is it, it's kind of the, you know, it's the idea like Jackie Chan has crazy stunts in his movies, but it's because he's a perfectionist. He would do a take a thousand times to make it perfect, right? And he, Jackie Chan's crazy. Tony Jaw is like, I'm going to make an, I'm going to choreograph an action sequence that is just technically perfect. And I am such a strong performer that it, it I will not mess it up. Like, I will do this perfectly on the on the first real run through. Yeah. You know? Ouch. And there's no way to set this scene up again. Like there's so many things that break. Setting it up again would take uh, just ages. You know? And so I And that, it would look different every time you shot it, just by necessity. Right, you, you could not split it you'd have to you could not splice it together. Like it would just have to you have to redo the whole thing. So 
Um, yeah, Tony Jaw. If you are into martial arts films and you want to see like a the new the new standard. Yeah, if is- you like Donnie Yen movies, if you like uh you know uh some early Jet Li stuff, if you like any of those things. And I mean, these movies came out about 10 years ago. I got to be honest, I'm not a kung fu movie guy. If I'm with friends and they all want to watch one, then cool, I'll watch it. This gets me psyched. Like I really want to see this movie. So if you're not into kung fu movies, watch this scene on YouTube. Just do it. The Protector restaurant Sorry, fight scene. The fact that that clip ends with where are my elephants? Exactly. It's so good. It's, I mean, it's perfect because it's the same kind of thing. Tony Jaw's like an outsider and he's trying to, he's, he's in this big city and he's trying to find his elephants. You know, so it's similar to, similar plot to the other movie, to be <laughs> honest with you. It's the same plot to the other movie. But who cares? You know what? If you find something you're good at, just keep doing it. Tony Jaw is in Fast and the Furious 7. If you, he's the guy on the bus when they go to, um, when they go to take down the, those movies are getting so ridiculous. The bus that has like <laughs> the bus that has like mini guns attached to it and stuff. Yeah, Tony Jaws the guy inside that bus. So yeah, um, yep, excellent, excellent choices, Nathan. All right, well let's let's get out of here. Well, yep. uh, it is it is uh, funny that I'll just say that the Seahawks cut Kristen Michael Jr. Or, I'm sorry, Kristen Michael Senior. This is a guy the Scott podcast. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it seems like that. This is a guy that the Seahawks you know, had to rely on. And then there's a chance we might, we might sign him back, but big changes for this team, big win over the Patriots, big game against the Eagles. And, uh, this is, this is when the Seahawks come alive. So let's see what happens for Kevin Garber, Nathan Santo for executive producer, Brett Hancock and Carrie Santo. And she, Carrie Santo. Oh, she's yes. Patreon. She's on Patreon level executive producer. Ooh, look at that. Brett, you're out. I'm Eric Ronnebeck. <laughs> Go Hawks. <laughs>